Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comment section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. With this message, we begin a series of messages that will take us through the next five weeks. Why five weeks, you might ask? Well, that's because elections for political positions all over the United States are taking place within the next five weeks. And I am making an all-out push, an all-out backing of the campaign of the one who is the most capable of leading us both now and in the future. I am campaigning for the kingdom of God where Jesus Christ is king in 2020 and forever. Now, some of you may view this as me speaking in jest because you've heard it said that faith and politics do not mix or that faith is only meant to inform your politics, meaning that you read scripture, you pray, and then you choose from whoever is available among the candidates put before you. Based upon how you believe God is leading you, you then choose from those candidates. In this way, you might use faith as a way to help you make the best choice you know to make, hoping that it all turns out okay in the end. My invitation to you in this message and in the subsequent messages in this series, I'm inviting you to explore with me this very powerful and liberating truth for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. You have a ruler. His name is Jesus, and he is the ruler of not only a spiritual kingdom of spiritual matters, but his authority and power extend into everyday thinking and doing. Now, just as quickly as I've said that, I know that some will give a nod and a grin and say, yes, mm -hmm, that's right, Jesus is king, but he's not on the ballot <laughs> So it's a nice thought, but not, not helpful for who is going to lead or going to be in charge of this country and which party will have control of the agenda for the United States. After all, there's a lot at stake for our country. So we need to choose the right leaders and the right agenda. That's what many people are thinking and expressing and feeling at this time. So let me... State it again, just for clarity. You have a ruler. His name is Jesus. He has a platform or set of convictions that he runs his kingdom from, and those who are on board with his leadership are on board with his platform. He also has a politic, a way of distributing power and authority within his kingdom to address the matters that affect people and people groups all around the world. Contrary to what some people have been taught, Jesus was very, very political. And he was very controversial in this way as well. He spoke using very political words. Kings, authority, power, ruler, kingdom, liberation, freedom, throne, etc. And when it came to his death on the cross, this is what they placed over him. Matthew 27, 37. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. What was the charge? Insurrection, rebellion, 
Jesus was accused of leading an uprising. (laughs) He was accused of starting a rebellion that would place him as king of a new kingdom. This was one of the greatest concerns of leaders at that time, that there would be an uprising, a rebellion that would go against Caesar, that would go against other established authorities. And this is the very thing that Jesus was accused of. Now, why is this important for us as followers of Jesus to not only understand, but to fully embrace into our lives? I want to suggest that if we only believe Jesus to be the king of a religious sect or a religious kingdom that only addresses spiritual issues, we are far more likely then to turn to earthly kingdoms, believing that they have the answers, that they have real power to bring change in people's lives. In the United States, we could translate this world to kingdoms as presidents, senators, congressmen and women, governors, court justices, Republicans, Democrats, independents, libertarians, etc., etc. When I speak of kingdom of God and kingdoms of this world, I think we can make the translation and understand that the kingdoms of this world exist in the politic of our culture within the United States. Many Christians I speak with are saddened by what they describe as a moral and religious decline in the United States. And the reality is that there is a significant shift that has occurred in our country. It's a betrayal in many ways where Christians have traded their exclusive allegiance to King Jesus and are now looking to government structures, principalities, and powers to enforce the kingdom of God, while Jesus continues to look to his people, his church. This message and series of messages titled Kingdom of God, Jesus, King Jesus, 2020 and Forever, is a clarion call to the church, to new horizons, and to all who will hear it, that now is the time to declare total allegiance to the one true king, total allegiance to his kingdom, and to promote his platform instead of others. Let's pray. And for those who are a little bit unsettled at this moment between this idea of politics and faith in Christ, I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead our time and open up the scriptures to us and help us see how Jesus was leading not just a spiritual kingdom, but a new kingdom to this earth, heaven come to earth. Holy Spirit, we do welcome you to lead our time in the scriptures during this message. Uh, May you help us divide between what is spirit and what is flesh, uh, what is the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven. And may you help us discern what it is that we are called to and who it is that we're called to above all others. Thank you for this time. And we thank you for leading us in this. Set our defenses down in such a way that we would receive from you and hear from you and embrace your call to our lives. Amen. Well, just a moment ago, I used the word, uh, this, uh, this idea that Jesus is a liberating king and he has come to bring his kingdom. Now, his kingdom is a theocracy. Now, this this idea of theocracy, it's a little bit different than what we're used to. 
And some may wonder, why would I want to live in a theocracy? Isn't democracy the best of the best? In fact, isn't a democratic republic, as in the United States, isn't that the best of the best? But in the Christian faith, we're reminded that we're actually citizens of heaven. This is not a quaint idea to remind us that we're just passing through, although some view it in that light that our hope is in heaven, where citizenship is there, we're just passing through. It's not a nice religious idea, it is a reality for those who adhere to, who are committed to life with Jesus Christ. This is our reality. Our citizenship is in heaven where there is no socialism, there is no capitalism, communism, democracy, etc. In heaven, and for those whose citizenship is in the kingdom of God, we are part of a true theocracy. That is where God himself is ruler of the people in his kingdom. The first picture of this we see is in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and it's God speaking to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God is the ruler. He provides the boundaries of life. Uh, He gives Adam and Eve authority to carry out what he desires, to carry out his purposes and plans upon the earth. But it's his kingdom. He gives authority, but it's his kingdom and it's his rule. Jump ahead to the life of Jesus and we see that even his birth is about establishing the kingdom of God. It has strong political overtones in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. This is a verse that we often will hear around Christmas time. So it's kind of seasonal. We'll think about it at Christmas, but not necessarily during a political season. But I want you to listen closely as it has very strong political overtones about this coming Messiah, the one who would establish his kingdom. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is saying there is one who is going to come and usher in the kingdom of God. There is one who is going to bring the kingdom, and it is not a human system of government with rulers who go on either as tyrants for decades or for presidents who are elected every four to eight years before their time is up. It's not a kingdom that is wrought with unrest and division and deception and corruption. No, this is heavenly citizenship. This is where justice and righteousness are the pillars of the kingdom. This is the kingdom that Jesus brought. For unto us a son is given, and he is bringing a kingdom that is without end. Now, some people mistakenly think about this only in future tense. Yes, won't it be nice when that happens? Won't it be nice when we're in heaven and and the kingdom is in its fullness, and Jesus is ruler, and everything is at peace, and and everything works the way that we would want it to work. However, 
I want you to take note that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, he doesn't speak in terms of future tense. He speaks in terms of present tense. He talked about things in the future, but he spent more time talking about how the kingdom had come to earth through him and how it was, he was going to demonstrate the kingdom of God through his life. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 talks about how Jesus does this. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So as Christians, we're part of this theocracy, part of this kingdom that has come. And this is the proclamation that Jesus made. The kingdom has come among you. And he began to heal every disease and sickness and liberate people from bondages of sin and death. And this was the focus of his ministry to bring the kingdom of God and proclaim it wherever he went. It wasn't a future tense of something that would happen in some time down the road. It was a very present tense experience that Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come to you. And as Christians, we're part of this. He says, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to bring forth laborers, others who would work in this kingdom, who would extend the kingdom. It was being felt in really real, very real ways as Jesus brought it from heaven and started demonstrating it on earth. This is at the heart of the kingdom of God message that Jesus preached. This is it. The kingdom of God is not just a distant hope of life after death, it is a present reality for those who embrace both Jesus as king and life under his rule in the here and now. The kingdom of God is not just a distant hope after life and death. It's for the here and now. And this is so important for us to grasp because if we only relegate it to something in the future, we'll miss the important part of Christ as king as our allegiance to the kingdom of heaven as citizenship in the kingdom of God first and primarily. Not only did Jesus teach this, but he was so convincing and so clear about his teaching that the early disciples, those who are following him, believed this as well and understood this in their own proclamation of who Jesus was. It was very, very political. The conflicts that the early disciples ran into were not because they were doing too much good and the crowds didn't want them to do good. It was because they were proclaiming that a new king had come and he had brought this new kingdom with him. There was a new kingdom at hand. It had come from heaven through Jesus. And that was their proclamation. Again, they were suggesting insurrection, that they were bringing about a change in the way that life was lived on earth. It was perceived as a threat to the power structures of this world. And this is seen real clearly when Paul and Silas travel to Thessalonica and begin to speak about the kingdom and heal the sick. God is doing amazing things through their ministry. They are welcomed by Jason, another follower of Jesus who lived in Thessalonica. And there's a commotion among the Jews who do not like Jesus being proclaimed as king. 
and that the kingdom of God had come through Jesus. They don't like these Christians teaching about Jesus the King, and so they bring a charge before the city council about Paul and Silas. Acts 17, 6-9 says, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. In our modern context, if we were to think about it, what's happening is there's this uprising. They're saying these Christians are causing civil unrest in the streets. <laughs> these Christians are causing disturbances out in the streets because they're proclaiming that there's a king other than Caesar. They're proclaiming that there's another kingdom besides the kingdom of Rome. And so they bring this charge before the city officials and they are very, very afraid, very scared that if this news gets back to Rome, gets outside that there is an insurrection taking place in their city, that it's going to bring down heavy consequences upon them. And so they do their best to shut it down and they charge a fee against Jason as a security and then they let them go. But I want you to capture the point here and the emphasis here that this was such a strong message about Jesus's kingship and that the kingdom of God has come that people actually believed that it was a political stance that they were trying to overthrow Caesar, that they weren't obeying Caesar. Paul and Silas preached so strongly about Jesus Christ and his kingdom that they were accused of this rebellion against the government authorities. And the exact same charge was brought against Jesus. Posted above the cross, here is Jesus, King of the Jews. He was mocked in a ceremony as though he was a king with a crown of thorns, a robe placed upon him. The idea that he thought he could be a king, they mocked that. And so likewise, his disciples now, as Jesus has ascended to the throne and the Holy Spirit has come, his disciples are making the proclamation, Jesus is king, he's the resurrected king, and his kingdom has come. It's so powerful that these local people are saying, it's turning the world upside down and now it has come to our city. Wouldn't this be a fantastic proclamation about the church today that we're so involved in the kingdom of God and in the ministry of Jesus that people believe we're actually attempting to overthrow the government? Not with our political stance and not with a political party, but with the kingdom of God and the rulership of Jesus taking place. They are proclaiming, Paul and Silas, they're proclaiming the good news of the kingdom not based on human authority and structures, but on heavenly power and authority that comes to them. So Jesus understood his purpose was to bring the kingdom of God to earth and establish himself as king over it. Not through force or not overtaking human structures, but through proclaiming that the kingdom is about and then demonstrating it with real power. 
the early followers of Jesus understood what Jesus had accomplished, and they were to continue the campaign and establish the rule and reign of Jesus through proclaiming a new king, and a new kingdom had come. And it was being established, again, not by overtaking the systems and institutions of human rule, but by bringing heaven's rule to earth. I want to suggest that an alarming contrast to these two examples given to us in Scripture by Jesus himself and the early disciples that turned the world upside down. In contrast to this, church history is filled with those who have tried to make this world's power and authority structures the vehicle for the kingdom to come to earth. This attempt has failed repeatedly. The reason it's failed, one of the main reasons, is because of this. There is not a single form of human government that it can accomplish what Christ and his kingdom have been established for. And that is establishing heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven come to earth. Not the kingdoms of this earth adopting the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven coming to earth. That's what Jesus was about. That's what the early disciples were about. And somehow we get it twisted. We get it mixed up and we try to bring the kingdom of heaven into earthly political structures and then through those structures try to administer the rule and reign of Jesus. This is not using forms of human government to bring the kingdom. This is people filled with the Holy Spirit, the church, the body of Christ, bringing the kingdom of God to overrun the kingdoms of this world, not with power and grasping at authority structures within this world, but by bringing the message of hope and grace and authority of Christ, by overrunning the darkness in people's lives with the light of Christ. When we accept Christ as King, we're not giving him second or third allegiance, We are saying that he is first and everything else has to find its place. It has to reset underneath him. In other words, if we're to think about it in terms of citizenship, we would state it this way. Our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. And we're trying to figure out how we can be American citizens also. But first and foremost, and most importantly, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, where heaven has come to earth, and Jesus is king. And all other allegiances are far below our commitment to Christ and his kingdom. And we're left with, after that, only after we've made that declaration and that understanding that that is our primary function, our primary role, and our primary citizenship, our primary allegiance, Only after that do we say, now how can I be a good American citizen? Where does that fit after I'm a citizen of heaven? This is a new perspective and difficult for some. Maybe it sounds unpatriotic, or maybe you think that being a citizen of heaven and a citizen of this country are not in conflict in any way. This is an important thing for you to process because the kingdom of God is always preeminent. And it does not require, nor is it leaning upon, political systems and authorities and rulers of this world 
to accomplish its purposes. It is advancing through the work of those who profess faith that Jesus Christ is king and his kingdom has come. And if, only if, God so leads us, do we use the structures of this world to accomplish that? But those are secondary, and those sit far below his kingdom and his rule, and only if he instructs us to use them for his purposes do we use them in that way. Well, this is a great place for us to pause because in the next message, we'll be looking at the platform of the kingdom and how when Jesus declared his rulership, he surprised a lot of people about how his rule was going to come because it was not consistent with any uh, ruler or reign and and, uh, political system that currently existed upon the earth. So we're going to see that contrast and how that creates in us, in some ways, a conflict of how do we remain good citizens of heaven first and citizens in our country second. Let's pray. And then in just a moment, we're going to receive communion with one another. Lord, I thank you so much that you came not just for our religious needs, but you came to be the ruler over the kingdom of heaven and that you brought it to earth and that you have given us very real and concrete ways in which we can live here on earth as citizens of heaven. This dual citizenship is difficult for us, Lord, because we tend to get our feet into one or the other and then neglect the one who uh, we're not focused on in the moment. And typically, Lord, I just know that because our citizenship in heaven is not present before our eyes often every day, we get bogged down in our citizenship on this earth with the kingdoms of this world and the authorities and rulers of this world. So I pray, God, help us. Help us to see that you are our ruler, Jesus, that you reign supreme, and your kingdom comes not just to meet spiritual needs, but for everyday life as well. Make that reality come alive to us throughout the rest of our day, throughout the rest of our week as we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, the bread is a reminder that he is with us. He said that when we receive the bread, we're to remember him. And this is a call that he is not just the crucified Christ, but he is the resurrected Christ. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And of his government, there will be no end. And so we want to recognize that we have a king. His name is Jesus. And we receive him as Lord We receive him as king in our life. Lord, thank you for your body given for us, that you laid it down and you showed us the way of the kingdom of God is not domination of political structures in this earth, but sacrificing your life to overcome the principalities and powers of this world so that you could overcome sin, death, hell, and the grave, and so that you could bring victory to our life so that we could live with you in this kingdom. We thank you for your body. We remember you and we honor you as king as we receive this bread. 
Amen. Lord, for your shed blood, we remember that it was given to make us righteous. Give us a righteousness not based on our works, not based on our own efforts, but based upon the work that you accomplished on the cross. That there's nothing that we do that makes us worthy of receiving life and the liberty of your kingdom. But Lord, because you gave yourself, you ushered in a new way, a better way, that is not based on our works, but it's based on what you've accomplished. Because of that, Lord, you reign as king. You reign as the one who is worthy of all praise, worthy of our worship and our, our servanthood to you. So we commit ourselves to your kingship, to your kingdom, and to serving with you as you lead us. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you this week to be reminded if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a king. You have a ruler. His name is Jesus. And he's reigning. He's ruling in a kingdom that isn't just somewhere out there in the future. It's in the here and now. The kingdom of God has come to earth and the king is on his throne. And we get the privilege of bringing that to life to so many others. If you're considering the ways of Jesus and you have not yet made a decision to follow him, maybe looking around the landscape of these past few years, you see the disappointment in the kingdoms of this world. You see how earthly rulers lord it over people and how even when trying to do good, there's harm that is the outcome. And you look at, you're looking for a better way. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to come and meet Jesus as King, as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, not of a earthly kingdom, but as he has brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. At the end of this video, there's an invitation for you to receive a book called Following Jesus, and it will help you in those first steps of knowing Jesus as King and stepping into his kingdom and being a part of life with him. So I invite you to make that request and get a copy of Following Jesus. Lord bless you as you go throughout your week. Thank you for watching this message. And I look forward to next week as we proclaim the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, King forever. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.